Yes, that is something to be celebrated. Well, let's open in a word of prayer and we'll get into the message for today. Father, we thank you for your word, God. I pray that may we be edified by it, may we be encouraged by it, God. And as your word goes forth this morning, God, may it fall on good soil, Lord. May we have ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us today. So we'll be looking at Acts chapter 10, and we'll be doing the whole passage today. I know. I know. We're doing the whole passage. It's going to be amazing. But before we get into today's passage, I want to include all of you in a little activity, which means that it will only work if you participate. So you got to participate. So I'm going to ask a few questions, and I'd like for you to raise your hand if it applies to you. And those of you who are tuned in online, raise your hand in the chat. And so here's the first one. How many of you have eaten a bug? Hmm? Like I was getting in my car the other day and one just flew in my mouth. And so have you accidentally eaten a bug? Has that happened to you before? What about a snail? Hmm? Show of hands. There you go. What about caviar? Have you had that? Did you know that's fish eggs? Hmm? You know that's fish, fish eggs, right? What about octopus? I've had that. I love that. Make some good ceviche. You know, <laughs> some of us are more adventurous than others. But on the whole, we eat what we're comfortable with. And we avoid what is not comfortable. And what is not comfortable is usually what is either not acceptable to us in our culture or just not in our daily habit of rituals. For example, some of the things I eat or have eaten might be considered unusual. And so before I started in full-time ministry, I worked in television as a reporter. And so that meant I traveled the world and I was able to try foods from all different cultures. And as a guest of these countries, I ate some very interesting things. If you've gone overseas on a mission trip or something like that, you might have did some of this as well. And one of the things I did on a trip to Taiwan, I had something called thousand-year-old eggs. They're not a thousand years old, all right, but they're two months old. They're eggs that have been fermented from either duck, chicken, or quail. They're preserved in a mixture of clay and ash and salt and quick lime and the hull of rice, and you smell it from around the corner. <laughs> but you're a guest of the people there, and you want to honor them, and I tried it. I can't tell you that the taste was the best, but I did try it. Or how about this one? A few weeks ago, or months, I should say, I went to the local butcher. Well, I called them up, and I said, do you have some cow feet? They were like, what? They said, yes, we actually have some, but we don't usually sell that. I said, well, I'd like to come pick up a couple of cow feet from you. And so I got there, and <laughs> they asked me, which one do you want? And this is what cow feet looks like. 
And I told them, well, let me get so many pounds. And they cut them up for me. And the woman asked me, well, what are you doing with this? I told her, I'm making a soup. And let's show you what the soup looks like. It's so delicious. Now I know you're probably saying, cow feet. Who is this savage that's preaching to us today? (laughs) Who is he? Who is he? But it was good. And so, I'm going to ask you now, what kinds of food have you eaten that are rare or unusual? Just shout it out, wherever you are. Don't worry about the person beside you. They'll still love you after what you just said. Chitlins. I've heard about that, yes. What else? Eyeball, yes, cow eyeball. Oysters, what else? Brain, cow brain. So, all right, see, I'm hearing all kinds of things. So we've all eaten all kinds of different things that someone else might not eat. Anyone eat a rodent before? Hmm? See, some people, for example, might eat a squirrel, but never think of eating a groundhog. Although, a groundhog is just a land-borrowing member of the squirrel family. And a squirrel is really just a rat with a fluffy tail. (laughs) See, some of us might deign to eat a lobster or crawfish or other kinds of seafood, but would never think of eating a locust or a snail. Not much difference there, folks. A lobster is just a cockroach on steroids. But I love it. I love them. No, you don't agree? (laughs) And see, most of us would eat the meat of a cow or even a deer, but never a rabbit or an iguana. I will tell you that I do eat iguana. But some some people have these animals as pets. But in many other nations, eating the meat of these animals is no big deal. See, our tastes are conditioned by our culture and our circumstances. What we deem edible or acceptable as food has more to do with our perception of it than what it tastes, in fact. In fact, even the way we look at animals varies from culture to culture. And what makes an animal off-limits a darling or a delicacy depends on what kind of relationship we have with it, what labels we have stamped upon it, and what kind of preferences we have. I have a story for you. So many of you might know by now, I'm originally from Belize, and so we were colonized by the British, and the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II, visited our country twice. And so this was the year 1985, before I was born. And Queen Elizabeth was on a whirlwind tour of the Commonwealth. And during a ceremonial dinner in Belize, she was served a stew of gibnot. Now I have an artic- a picture of the article up here for you. You can't really see what that says. You might see it says the queen eats a rat. And so here's a piece by then foreign editor editor in the British press, Nicholas Davies, on the matter. He says, The queen was served a giant roasted rat at a state banquet in South America. Belize isn't in South America, by the way. It's in the Caribbean. But moving on. 
She picked at the meal and ate only a little of the two-foot-long rodent. The rat was dished up as the main course at a banquet in a tiny state of Belize. On the menu, it was described as roasted Masco Gibnot. Masco is a village in Belize. The queen began eating, then turned to the governor at the time, Dame Manita Gordon, to ask what a Gibnot was. Tastes like rabbit, she said. She was told it's a delicacy in Belize, a wild animal which roams the jungles there. In fact, the, right, the editor writes, Gibnot is the biggest rat in the world and is hunted by natives with dogs. It can grow up to 31 pounds. And from since then, it's been referred to as the royal rat in Belize. I kid you not, this is a true story. Let me show you what the Gibnot looks like. This is what the Gibnot looks like. And I love the Gibnot. I eat the Gibnot. It, if you love ham, I am telling you a good cured Gibnot is divine. Swine is divine in that it tastes so good. Fussy, you might say. Or how could they? How could they serve the queen that? you might say. But we can also get fussy about our food until we're very, very hungry. Likewise, we're fussy about the company we keep until we become friends with people who we may see as different from us. Just consider this author story I'm about to tell you. Homeboy Industries is one of the largest gang intervention and rehabilitation organization that's been serving the greater Los Angeles area for about 30 years. And their founder, Father Gregory Boyle, started the organization to work with youth gang members to rehabilitate them and help them turn their lives around. And Father Boyle often tells stories of the way people view these young men. He says, often people will move to the other side of the street when passing them by. Sometimes, hold their children closer or avert their eyes. And yet, he attests that these young men who have become Christians and who have become a part of homeboy industries as counselors and staff are some of the most sensitive, wonderful, compassionate, and loving young men you will ever want to meet. See, as people come into a clash of consciousness, so to speak, and when they're faced with rehumanizing, for lack of a be better word, those whom they had formerly seen as different, this clash of values is a shock. When I told you about the Gibnot, that's shocking to you. If you hear someone eat iguana or rabbit, that might be shocking to you and confusing causes all kinds of problems in our heads as we try to wrap our minds around how someone is different based on their preferences or based on our preferences. But the easiest way to resolve this clash or this confusion is to be in relationship with the one who's different from you or who you may be struggling with. Our plans this year is to take a trip to Belize, so there might be an opportunity for you to try giving if you want. I promise you, I won't trick you into having it. 
if you're not interested. And I promise you, if I have you over to eat, I'm just cooking chicken or something that we eat regularly here. All right? And so, the easiest way to resolve that clash, as I said, is to be in a relationship with the one you're struggling with or who's different from you. And that goes for any situation, whether with culture or just differences of opinion. We see people differently when we come into relationship with them and realize they are human just as we are. But what does all this have to do with our passage for today? Well, in our scriptures for today, Simon Peter is struggling with the early church's mission to the Gentiles. He has been trained from the time he was a young boy as a good Jew to avoid eating certain non-kosher foods. He has had it drilled in him also that he must avoid hanging around with unkosher people. And the people being referred to here were the Gentiles or those not confirming the Jewish religious law. And these unkosher people, again, being the Gentiles. But now, these perceptions that Peter has were impeding his mission as a disciple of Jesus. Because up to this point in the book of Acts, the gospel had been somewhat limited in its outreach. Pastor Mary covered this last week where she noted that the gospel had spread throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And you can find that reference in Acts chapter 39-31. So other than Samaritans who were half Jews, it had gone only to the Jews. And yet, Peter's willingness to reach out to the Gentiles was critically important to the outward movement of the gospel with the conversion of Cornelius, the first Gentile to be saved. It's a conversion noted not only because he was the first Gentile, but also for the miraculous events that accompanied his conversion. And as with Saul of Tarsus, we have more than just one account of his conversion. First, there is Luke's description in Acts 10, which we look at today. And then there's Peter's description when he's called to defend his actions, which we'll look at next Sunday in Acts 11. And to help with the reading of today's passage, I'm going to invite my good friend here, Steve Dalton, to the stage. And we'll be breaking up the reading this morning. Steve, you can grab the mic. We'll be breaking up the reading this morning into six or seven parts. We'll pause after each one, after which I'll emphasize some observation, and we'll keep moving through the text like that. But before we do that, let's start with an overview of the passage. In the passage we're about to read, two things are happening simultaneously as God brings a centurion named Cornelius and Simon Peter together in relationship. First... Cornelius, a non-Jewish God-fearing man, is told to go and seek out Simon Peter, who is staying in a house by the sea with friends. In the meantime, Peter has a vision in which he sees all kinds of animal in a blanket with a message from God saying, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And when the two of them meet, Peter will stay with a group of Gentiles, get to know them, get to like them, and the longer he remains with them, the more he develops a close bond with them, and the more he realizes they are just as devout, if not more, than he is. 
So Steve, would you start by reading us verses 1 to 8 of chapter 10? Of you can turn there in your Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen for you. May I say, did any of you pray for healing in your stomach when the analogies were being shared about the different kinds of food? Did anybody pray that their lunch could be restored so they could eat at lunch? Wonderful analogies, but praise God. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius has a vision. Cornelius, a centurion, is a very religious man. He was a Roman but had turned away from idolatry. In ancient times, the Romans were known to be pagan idolaters, worshipping the many gods in their many temples. But Cornelius was an exception. Besides that, Cornelius was a Roman centurion. This means that he was a military commander of at least a hundred men. A centurion would be equivalent to the rank of a captain today. And the first verse also tells us that he was at Caesarea. And Caesarea was the capital of the Roman province of Judea in Israel. So the angel appears to him with an announcement that his prayers and alms have been noticed by God. And there's instructions for him to send for Peter. And Cornelius then sends two servants and a devout soldier to Peter. Let's continue reading verses 9 to 16. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So the next day, while praying and while hungry, again, Peter has this vision, and a sheet descends from heaven containing all sorts of creatures. The voice tells Peter to kill and eat. Peter objects, for he has never eaten anything common or unclean. The voice tells him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And then, in Peter's fashion, it's repeated three times. Maybe it's similar for some of us. We need things to be repeated. 
But it's repeated three times. And in this portion, we see that God is teaching a principle to Peter. And it's this. We follow God where God goes. And and as God changes his expectations and purposes, we are obliged to change with him. See, the dietary rules came at a point in time for a purpose. Once that purpose had been met, then God removed those restrictions. Let's continue in the passage, verses 17 to 23. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. All right. So in this portion we see that the Spirit instructs Peter. Peter is troubled and puzzled by what he received in the vision. The men from Cornelius arrive as Peter contemplates the vision. you got to love the timing of God. Caesarea was probably about two days away. And as his vision is wrapping up, the men arrive. So they arrive, but the Spirit tells Peter to go, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Peter receives the men, gives them lodging, and takes six other believers. Scholars believe it was six with him as they go to Cornelius the next morning. And I would also say that you have to love the dedication to the mission of the Roman soldiers. Have you ever sent a message and it wasn't delivered the way you probably thought it would have been delivered? In the passage we just read, they delivered the precise message Cornelius gave them. Let's continue reading verses 24 to 33. The following day he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. 
Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So in this portion of scripture, we see that Peter arrives at Cornelius' house. Cornelius has gathered his family and close friends. And Peter deflects an attempt by Cornelius to worship him. And Peter explains his presence is a violation of Jewish custom. Peter says he came without objection. So he's done his part, really. And the tone and the sense of Peter's words suggests he's not comfortable and he's there somewhat reluctantly. Has God ever asked you to do something uncomfortable? Hmm? It's like, I didn't sign up for this. Ashley just mentioned that actually in worship. I'll go, Lord, but only if I go to this place over here that I really like. I don't want to go and eat the gibnas, or I don't really want to go and do the movements over here. But despite Peter's words, to the contrary, Cornelius explains why Peter was called. Cornelius recounts the appearance and instructions of the angel. He invites Peter to present the truth, which really Cornelius has missed up to this point. He knew of God, and he knew the God of Israel was the only true God. But he lacked the fulfillment of what he sought. There was a peace missing, and he was ready for that peace. So Peter responds with another version of his Pentecost and Sanhedrin speeches as Cornelius and his household were ready, the scripture says, to listen to everything the Lord had commanded Peter to tell them. Let's read verses 34 to 43. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living of the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter begins with a full perception that God shows no partiality. A perception started with the vision of the sheet and unclean beasts. A perception continued with the Spirit's instructions to go with the messengers. Peter then proceeds to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord who was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power who was killed but then raised from the dead and seen by eyewitnesses who knew him well, who has commanded the apostles to proclaim him 
as ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead, through whom the remission of sins is offered to those who believe. Church, Peter affirms that God welcomes anyone who fears him, which really means anyone who has faith in him and accomplishes works of righteousness, which means give evidence of faith. Let's read the last portion of the scripture from verses 44 to 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So here we see that the Spirit falls on all who heard, and Peter commands them to be baptized. Steve, thank you so much thank for you. reading. Would you give him a round of applause? So even as Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit falls upon all who were listening. And notice that the effect extends beyond the Gentiles, astonishing those of the circumcision, being the Jewish Christians who had come with Peter. They were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, also empowering them to speak with tongues and praise God. This fact means that the response is not a response of new faith. Rather, it is something altogether different. It is a special manifestation added to this moment by the Holy Spirit to mark the occasion in a unique way. See, the Jews understood the meaning of these signs because they had seen it twice before. First, at Pentecost. We've covered that before. And then, with the Samaritans. But now, with the Gentiles. It's something no Jew ever imagined would happen. And the moment comes complete with all the signs and wonders we've come to expect when the kingdom arrives for a new category of believers. Finally, the Jewish observers have no choice but to accept what they've seen and they agree they can't refuse Baptism. I mean, how could anyone forbid water baptism to those who had just received the filling of the Holy Spirit? So Cornelius and his household were commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And I want to remind you that Easter, we're only about six weeks away from Easter. Easter Sunday, we will actually be doing baptism right here after service. And so, yes, that is going to be amazing. I'm looking forward to it. So if you want to be baptized, please let us know. And if you have some interest in that, please come talk to myself or speak with Pastor Jeremy or Pastor Laura, someone else on staff, and we'll get you signed up for that. Easter Sunday, we're doing baptism right here, water baptism. So the events surrounding this conversation were certainly remarkable. They evidently were intended to convey important truths. And as we endeavor to glean what those truths were, 
Here are a few. What is meant by all of this? The first is this. God is gracious to break us out of our preferences and perceptions so that he can work through us. The ultimate purpose in this message to Peter was to create a willingness in him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The previously unclean nations of pagans were about to become children of God by faith. Despite the clear message, Peter resists. The whole conversation is repeated twice. Can you imagine God speaks to you in a vision and you deny God's command in personal conversation with Him? God speaks to you and you're like, no, God. God repeats it twice. And so at this point in the book of Acts, this is a turning point for the Gentiles. Here, the man with the keys to the kingdom is about to turn the key for the sake of Gentiles, beginning with this centurion, and to show how monumental this moment is for the church, let's consider what it took us to get here. Peter was brought to Joppa through a series of circumstances. An angel was sent to Cornelius. A delegation comes to Peter's home. A voice from heaven speaks to Peter, and the Holy Spirit coaches Peter to respond. Second, the gospel is for all nations. God's purpose is to bring sinners to salvation. And this gospel is spread through us so that he will be glorified among the nations. Peter perceived that God is no respecter of persons. And indeed, God desires all men to be saved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-6 to says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So therefore, he has not predestined some to be saved and others to be lost. I won't get into that, because that's a whole other sermon. But this promise is good news. To anyone who earnestly seeks to know the Lord, the resurrection church is for everyone. That is the message of our text today. So who in your life do you know who is radically different in some way than you are, who in your life? Are you friends with them? Why or why not? We have many people in our communities that may seem different than we are. Some of them may have had tough, unimaginable lives. Some may have had lives filled with mistakes that we have not made, or at least not yet. And maybe our circumstances and family dynamics have allowed us to grow up in a way that fed us steak instead of royal rat. Or salad instead of bugs. 
But for Jesus, all labels were smears. See, Jesus made no categories in the lives of human beings. He only made categories of the heart. As he often said to his disciples, it isn't what you put in your mouth and stomach that is the problem with our world. It is what comes from your heart and out of your mouth that matters. The Great Commission is, it comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. As Pastor Joe Duva would say, it's not the great suggestion, it is the great commission. We're called to this. Sometimes God uses the man from afar. Sometimes the person might take two days to come and a plane and a repeated vision as in the story today. But the great commission is fulfilled by you and you and you. It's not only Pastor Jesse, or Pastor Dan, or Pastor Laura, or Debbie. It's not only by being employed full-time by the church. No, it's by each and every one of us. It's by every member being a minister. It's by each one reaching one. Each one reaching one. And when we yield to the Lord put aside our own perceptions he will use us mightily in his service as he wants to use us as the conduits to fulfill this great commission we are the remnant that remains we are the remnant that remains who will speak of the hope that we have in Christ it is us he wants to use each and every one of you as the conduits to fulfill his great commission you know Peter had been a fisherman all of his life. And so the metaphor Jesus used to help Peter understand the mission and evangelism was one he could well understand, his fishing net. You will be fishers of men, he said to Peter. And in Peter's industry, and you might be familiar with the net, the net was a tool of commercial fishing industry. Peter wasn't just a weekend fisherman. Fishing wasn't his hobby, it was his livelihood. The net would be cast over the side, and it would take several men to do it. And the catch would be caught in the net, and then hauled back into the boat. Once at dock, the fish would be sorted, because the thing about the net is that it's not discerning about the kinds of fish it catches. Have you ever pulled up a net before? I've done that. All kinds of things come in that net. The net is not discerning about the kinds of fish it catches. The catch is buried. What do I mean by that? Well, some of us were raised in very strict moral and literal traditions that challenge our ways today of seeing Scripture, of seeing our neighbors, of seeing the world, our families and the church. Some of us come into church community with scars that are difficult to heal. Some have lost trust in pastors or church ministers. Many have lost touch or lost hope or lost respect for the church due to experiences they've had when they were young or even quite recently. Some of us were raised with a lot of do's and don'ts that make it hard for us to break from living out of a code of rules. That was me for a long time. 
Some of us were raised to believe that we should shield ourselves from the world to block others out for fear we may be wrongly influenced by forces beyond our control. You're living by the Spirit. You're living by the power of the Holy Spirit. You should invade wherever you go. The kingdom of God goes with you wherever you go. We've put into place securities and locks instead of stepping out with faith in the power and protection of Jesus. Some of us were raised to believe lots of things about the church, that the church is a sanctuary for people to hide behind, or it's a place to mingle with like-minded friends, or a place in which to create traditions that you never want to break from, or a place where you can direct your own posse or control your own corner, or a place where you can own a piece of a special pie, rule your own committee, belong to a family, fit into a group, and some of those things are nice. But Jesus comes to challenge all of those things too. All of our preconceived notions and perceptions about what the church is and who Jesus is and who we need to be when we say we follow Jesus. Jesus tells us, as does Paul and other apostles of the early church, that the way you treat people bears witness to the way Christ's Spirit is living and working in and through you. In other words, your ability to be in relationship with people who seem different than you has more to do with our culture, our taste, and our predispositions, and especially our relationship with Jesus than anything to do with that person. It should be informed by what the Word of God says. God made us all unique. We're all original, beautiful, and dissimilar people. Thank God for that. But God also made us like pieces of a dynamic and beautiful puzzle. Our mission is to find ways to fit together, to be together, for together we create the beautiful image of God. Amen? And like Peter, we all need a metaphor to remind us to turn our attention back to Jesus. For some of us, maybe the fishing metaphor will do. But I'm guessing that not many of us are commercial fishermen and women in here today. In a sense, everyone you come in contact with, you put in contact with Jesus. Everyone you touch will also have an experience of Jesus. Jesus goes with you because wherever a follower of Jesus goes, there he is also. When Peter went to visit Cornelius, he didn't know exactly why he was going. Only when he got there did he realize what he was called to do. This week, I want to encourage you. That person you meet in the parking lot, Invite them to church. Talk to that family attending the movies. Say hi to the person at the convenience store. Pay for the coffee of the person behind you in the Starbucks line. And leave a napkin with an invite. Take the bulletin. Did you receive a bulletin today? If you didn't get one, grab one on your way out. Take that bulletin you received today and leave it at a restaurant you go to eat at this week. You might just minister to someone. And whenever you're tempted by the notion that church ends at noon today and begins next week, remember that we're his ambassadors. So wherever we go, he goes. Therefore, again, you're the conduit for his great commission to be realized within our communities. Yes, it's great to send missionaries overseas. And yes, we should support them. But we can truly go into all the world because the nations 
And I'll say that again. The nations is now living among us here in Washington State. Over the last 10 years, diversity has grown by over 15%. The nations are living among us. So church, would you let your light so shine before men? And so with that, I want to close this morning. But I want to put you on assignment. I mentioned earlier about Easter. Easter will be here before we know it. And this means two things for us as we leave here today. First is this. All of us are called to go. Not just the pastors, not just the staff, not just the missionaries, all of us, each and every one of you, sitting in here, all of us are called to go. Cornelius would not have been saved if no one had taken the gospel to him. And no one will be saved today without the gospel. We are the remnant that remains. The author is that we should be full of hope and expectancy. This is the sort of wonder God is willing to work when we make connections with others. Let's be Christ for some untouched leper this week. Let's be the Peter for some waiting Cornelius. Cornelius and his whole household were made children of God by faith in the gospel and the arrival of the Holy Spirit gave proof to it and never forget God's words to Peter do not call anything impure that God has made clean church the resurrection is for everyone it is for everyone it is for everyone would you go out this week and be a shining example the change he's doing in your life. For Easter, we'll have three invite cards, and we'll be building up to that. We'll be telling you about that daily. Gina mentioned some of these outreach opportunities coming up. Sign up for them, but also even from now, be praying for that person you want to invite to come join us on Easter. At this time, I'll invite Braden up to come close us out and Terry maybe if you can come just play quietly in the background I want to remind you I'm going to ask the worship team just to sing the chorus of that song and wherever you're at today the Lord is faithful to do a renewing work in your life He's faithful to do that if you don't know Him today what an amazing opportunity you have to come into relationship with Him. And so I'm going to ask them again to sing the chorus of the song available. And Ashley gave us a strong charge earlier. Are you available to be used by the Lord in that way? Are you available? I was raised in a Christian home and I walked away from the Lord for a season. And my co-worker invited me back to church. Invited me back to church in 2009. And I'm standing here 
and chatter away years later. You never know who that person will reach that you witnessed. You never know. You never know. The seeds that you're planting, go out this week. Be his conduit and plant those seeds. Worship team, would you?